today is it's already been a really great morning. Do you guys feel that? Yeah? Who got a good sleep in? Yeah, I got a good sleep in. I'm sorry to all those parents with small children. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's been a wonderful morning already, and I'm so excited to be sharing the word with you this morning. Um, but before I begin, I just have a um, small announcement, um, important announcement regarding our global workers, Jono and Steph. So if you've been part of our church, you'll know that Jono and Steph have been our global workers for the last five and a half years serving in Cambodia. Um, unfortunately, due to a number of health issues, they've um, um, had to make very difficult decision to uh, return to Australia permanently. And so um, they are arriving today in Brisbane and they'll be based there um, for the next foreseeable future. And so please do keep them in prayer as they transition, especially for the children and especially for John and Steph who are, yeah, trying to um, get better with their health. Um, but most importantly, we just really ask if you are supporting them at the moment, please continue to support them for um, as, as long as you can so that they can get back on their feet um, and are not just, you know, uh, left with, without um, support. And so if, if we could do that, that would be incredible. So why don't I pray for them now um, before they begin. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Jonah and Steph. We thank you for um, Azaria, Levi, and Matea, God, and for the way that you have um, been so faithful to them. God, we thank you that um, for the last five and a half years um, and beyond that, Lord, even before they went to Cambodia, they have been so faithful to your work and um, yeah, and the things of you, Lord. And, and God, we pray right now, Lord, for uh, your complete healing on their, on their bodies, Lord, and their minds, God, for their family, Lord. And Father, this time where they um, are coming back, uh, Father, would you give them rest, Lord? Rest for their souls, God. Rest for their, um, their uh, the service to you, God. Um, but most importantly, that you would be close to them, Lord, that you would make your presence known to them. Father, we pray for their future. We pray for your provision in, in everything that they are um, about to embark on, Lord, for um, yeah, finding a new community to um, be a part of, finding a place to stay, finding a church, finding um, all the medical help that they need to get through this new phase, Lord. Father, we just want to lift them up into your hands and we pray, God, that you would be um, continue to be uh, their Lord and, and give them clarity about what's next, God. And so, God, we, uh, we thank you for this family, Lord, and we pray that you would continue to go before them. In your name. Amen. So, um, if, yeah, if you have more questions about that, please do come and speak to me. But we will hear more from Jonah and Steph uh, once they're settled in and, uh, you know, find their feet again um, in a couple of months' time. So, um, yeah, we're, we're back into our Luke series. Over the last month or so, we've been working through a series called Rethink and Refresh um, and looking at the way that Jesus shook things up. Um, and turned everyone's world upside down in the book of Luke. Now, we've heard about how um, God's incredible grace just welcomed uh, people from all walks of life into his kingdom. We saw how differently um, Jesus ruled and how he challenged everyone in the understanding of who God is and what his kingdom was like. We have been invited and we've been given a choice to live differently and according to his kingdom rule and purposes. In our lives. And today on Palm Sunday, I I must give Pastor Carl that joke was amazing. Like <laughs> I didn't even come up with 
you know, anything to do with um, Palm Sunday, but that was amazing. I um, do give you credit for that. <laughs> um, this morning, we've, he's explained what that was. You know, it's, it's the, the moment when Jesus comes into Jerusalem and people are laying their clothes down, their palm branches down to welcome him. Um, and this morning, we actually find ourselves conveniently. I don't, I don't know if I planned this. I think that we planned this, but we're, we're at the passage <laughs> where Jesus is entering Jerusalem. Um, and it's the, the first day of Holy Week where um, we're preparing to see Jesus make his way to the cross by Friday and by Sunday we see his resurrection. And so this is a, um, a time where Christians all over the world uh, celebrate and um, because it's a reminder of welcoming Jesus into our lives. And so um, if you have your Bibles with you, please do turn with me to Luke 19. And we're reading from verse 28 to 44. This is Jesus' triumphant entry. So after telling this story, um, that he just told this, uh, the parable of the uh, ten servants, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. And as he came to the towns of Bethridge and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. And as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw the garments over it uh, for him to ride on. And as he rode along, the crowds uh, spread out the garments on the road ahead of him. And and this is the part where in other gospels, um, people also lay palm leaves on the road and um, which is where the name Palm Sunday comes from. Um, and they also you know, started shouting, like, Hosanna, and, and singing all these praises. And so when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. If you've been following on for the last few weeks, you would have um, known that this tension has been building. Jesus had been challenging the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and making it very clear that he wasn't here to play around. He's not your friendly neighborhood teacher, um, and he was purposefully putting people in uncomfortable positions, making it impossible for them to feel neutral about him. People had to choose whether they listened and followed Jesus or reject him altogether. He was someone that people could either love or hate. And at this point, Jesus had a price tag on his head. He was a wanted man. Um, And not only did he have a lot of followers, he also had a lot of enemies. 
Despite this, Jesus came into Jerusalem in the most public way possible, riding on a donkey with crowds showering him with fanfare, with praise and with honour. Just this... um, just this week, we had a staff lunch, and um, we played celebrity heads to, you know, like lighten the mood. And it was really funny because Pastor Pinin had um, donkey on as his celebrity, and he's like donkey. He's like, and we're like, no, but like a specific donkey. And he's like, I don't know, donkey from like Balaam's donkey. We're like, oh, not that biblical. And it, it was actually donkey from Shrek. And he's like, oh, what? <laughs> um, but yeah, Pastor Kyle actually made us a delicious Mexican lunch, and, and that was really fun. Um, but donkeys were actually used throughout the times of the Bible, um, and according to the dictionary of the biblical imagery, and the riding of a donkey into a city uh, was a sign of royalty. Um, it wasn't just a lowly animal or an afterthought. It was actually a well-considered part of God's plan. A donkey was commonly associated with the pursuit of peace. So merchants um, or a priest or a man of peace would be riding a donkey, a uh, king might also ride a donkey um, on, on occasion, but he would more likely appear on a mighty war horse, you know, going into a conquered city. Um, in contrast, a man riding a donkey was not looking for war. And in Jesus' case, he came instead as a meek, peaceful, and gentle king, coming to bring salvation. In the Old Testament, Zechariah had prophesied this very moment, um, saying this, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And the people at the time were waiting for a military leader in the Messiah, someone fit for war, someone who was perhaps riding on a horse with sword and, and spear and, and ready to battle. But Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was indeed triumphant of humility over pride and worldly grandeur, of poverty over affluence, and meekness and gentleness over rage and malice. He's a different kind of king, with a different kind of authority. He did take away the chariots, the war horses, the battle bows, and proclaim peace with a rule that extends to the ends of the earth. And these Pharisees who told Jesus to rebuke his followers failed to recognize this prince of peace. They failed to recognize when God visited them. Have you ever failed? to recognize God's presence and work in your life. When our hearts are hard and calloused, it can be easy to miss God and what he's up to. Maybe we've also been looking in the wrong places or um, looking at different things that we've kind of looked at, pretended to have signs. You know, as a young Christian, I always expected to find God in um, the perfect atmosphere you know, at conferences with the lights dimmed low or, you know, in well-written worship songs or in prayer meetings. But as I matured, I discovered that God was, if not more, present in the moments when I sat with people and listened to their stories. God was more present in the midst of suffering and brokenness. 
in the mundane everyday moments of you know, watering my garden or laughing with my friends. The Prince of Peace came in the most unexpected way. And if we don't know what we're looking for, we too can miss his presence and work in our lives. But more importantly, like the donkey which no one had ever ridden, will we not recognize Jesus' kingdom authority, but allow Jesus and Jesus alone to sit on this very seat of authority in our lives and serve him and his purposes? You know, one of the commentaries was saying that um, these donkeys, they usually build a really strong bond with um, the owner and that only allow those they trust to ride them. Um, and you need to, over time, build this relationship with the donkey. And for Jesus to come along, never met this donkey, never having a relationship of trust with this donkey, and the donkey just allowing the Lord of all to, to sit and ride on him. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a submission. Um, it's the donkey. I mean, it's a donkey, but you know, it's, it's an image of... Um, us allowing God to sit in that throne of authority, the seat of authority in our lives, um, and going with his purposes. After um, Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, we see his heartbreak over the stubborn hearts of God's chosen people, who were supposed to be the light and blessing for all nations. And we start to see a very different side of Jesus. Um, In verse 45, we see um, Jesus clearing the temple. Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people, selling animals for sacrifices. He said to them, The scriptures declare my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. After that, he taught daily in the temple. But the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law, and the other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him. But they could think of nothing, because all the people hung on every word he said. This particular incident is recorded in all four Gospels. And in Matthew's account, we see that Jesus was so upset by this, he actually was flipping the tables um, of money changers and those who were selling doves. In one commentary, um, noted that a pair of doves could cost as little as 4p outside the temple. I don't don't really know how much 4p is. I don't even know what p stands for. Um, But let's just say it's like $4 outside the temple. But inside the temple, it would cost up to 75 $75. Um, That's that's almost like 18 to 20 times more expensive. So why would Jesus so angry? If you take a look at this picture of the temple, um, I tried to find like a simple one because all of them were super complicated. Um, You see that there are different sections. So the tall structure in the middle, the the taller one that kind of sticks up in the middle, that's called the Holy of Holies. So that is where the Ark of the Coven is kept, which is um, basically like a chest where the presence of God is carried and it stays. So that's the Holy of Holies. And around that small um, little section, that's called the inner courts. And that's where the Jews um, would come to worship and offer sacrifices to God. Um, and that's you know their place of worship. And only those who were... Um, Jewish could go into that space. Uh, so the priests would be um, serving in that area with the Holy of Holies. And there's, there's a curtain there uh, where it separates the, um, the people. So it's almost like a barrier because people, like God's holy presence is so holy that if you kind of step in as a sinful person, you might just die in, in God's holy presence. And in the Old Testament, they actually um, the priests actually, only the highest priest could go in and they would tie a rope around the ankle 
um, when they go in. And so if they were sinful and they didn't tell anyone, they, didn't, you know, they were unclean and they died in there, they could like pull the priest out. Like it was like that's how holy God's presence is. So that is um, the inner court and with the Holy of Holies. Um, and in the um, outside, you see this big kind of courtyard. And that's the area called the outer courts. Um, and this was where all the merchants, the money changers, and the people were selling doves and sacrifices uh, for people to take into the inner courts um, to, uh, to offer. And so this is where people was driving out the people and... purpose was for people who weren't Jews uh, to come and to pray and to worship God. So this is why uh, Jesus quotes Isaiah 56 here and says that this temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This is a place where Gentiles, people of all nations from all over the world could come to worship God and pray. But these people had turned it into a marketplace, a den of robbers making it impossible for anyone who wasn't a Jew seeking God to go there and pray. Jesus was angry, not just because people were turning his temple into a marketplace. He was furious because the merchants who, in cooperation with the priests, the people who were supposed to be there serving him, they were not only cheating visitors by forcing them to purchase pre-approved sacrifices at high prices for a profit, They were cheating Gentiles. They were cheating the people of their ability to seek God. In what ways have you and I stopped or handicapped others from coming to and seeking God? What barriers have we put up? What spaces have we filled with our own agendas and not allowed God? to be sought after. In Revelation um, 7-9, the Apostle John sees this vision of a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. This image, this glimpse of heaven, is a picture of those who stand before the throne of God in worship. These aren't just Jews, the privileged or lucky ones. These are people from every nation, every tribe, and every language who openly welcome Jesus into their lives as their triumphant king. Just as those did on Palm Sunday, laying out palm branches on the road for Jesus' donkey. Unlike other kings and authorities in the world, The Prince of Peace didn't come to rule for the sake of money, power, or fame. Jesus' authority and kingdom rule had a greater purpose, and that is to draw people to himself, to bring salvation to the world. And that is why, it says in Revelation, they stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. The lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living, life-giving water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. 
Jesus' authority has a purpose. It's not just for authority, for authority's sake. It's not just for power. It's not just for fame. It's not just so that Jesus can be the king of the world and that's it. He's not demanding your worship for the sake of it. In what ways am I partnering with or hindering God's purposes? After Jesus clears the temple courts, we immediately see this tension building and his authority being questioned. You know, one day as Jesus was teaching the people and preaching the good news in the temple, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders came up to him. And they demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? Let me ask you a question first, he replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? And they talked to him among themselves. And if we say it was from heaven, he'll ask why we didn't believe John. But if we say it was merely human, the people will stone us because they are convinced John was a prophet. So they finally replied that they didn't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. And by replying with this question about John the Baptist, Jesus wasn't trying to avoid the question. He wasn't, you know, drawing parallels. Or he wasn't, you know, trying to, to trick them or anything. He was actually drawing parallels between himself and John the Baptist to explain who he is and pretty much give these guys a chance to see Jesus in plain sight for who he was. And if, he, if John was from God, then his authority came from heaven and then he was absolutely right in proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. And if Jesus was the Messiah, then he had all the authority in both heaven and earth. And yet these teachers of the law were so blinded by their own pride and the need to gatekeep the Jewish tradition and laws. They not only stopped others from entering God's kingdom, they themselves were also not entering. To expose their calloused hearts, Jesus then tells them yet another parable to show how wicked they were acting in total opposition of God's kingdom purposes, once again leaving them speechless but unrepentant. Watching for the opportunity, the leaders sent spies pretending to be honest men. They tried to get Jesus to say something that could be reported to the Roman governor so he would arrest Jesus. Teacher, they said, we know that you speak and teach what is right and are not influenced by what others think. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through the trickery and said, show me a Roman coin whose picture and title are stamped on it. Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So they failed to trap him by what he said in front of the people. And instead, they were amazed by his answer and they became silent. Besides it being a very politically correct answer, Jesus here is saying that we are citizens of both heaven and earth at the same time. We're responsible to God and all things, but we also must be obedient to the leaders and government authority, which we also live under. As First Peter said, fear God and respect the king. And as humans, we were made in God's image. Each and every single one of us has the image of God impressed on us. Like a coin with Caesar or the queen's image, it means that we not only belong to God, but we have inherent value to him. And as citizens of both heaven and earth, if we choose to allow God 
and Jesus to sit on this throne of authority in our lives. There is nothing that's off limits for God's authority and kingdom rule. Like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, we can't just submit ourselves um, in our behaviours to God's sovereignty and then not sort of, uh, submit our hearts. We can't just follow God on a Sunday and then forget about him from Monday to Saturday. We can't just do all the right things in our spiritual life but neglect all our healthy relationships or earthly relationships with family, friends and our colleagues. If Jesus is Lord and has authority over both heaven and earth, there is nothing in the past, the present or the future that we cannot give over to him. In every aspect of who we are, what we think and do and say, in every sphere of our every day, the whole of our lives in both heaven and earth belong to him. And like always, you and I have been given a choice. Do you choose to welcome the Prince of Peace into your life fully and lay down those palm branches before his feet? Or do you pick and choose to calculate what you might get out of it and fail to recognize God in your midst? Jesus makes it very clear that we cannot remain neutral about him. He's not coming on a mighty war horse demanding your submission, but on a donkey as a meek, peaceful, and gentle king, offering salvation and abundant life. He's, and he's offering this to everyone and anyone who wants and welcomes it. Will you draw near to him and help others do the same? Or will you stand in the way of this? Now, there's only one week until Easter, and um, as Pastor Kyle mentioned, over the next few days, we'll be taking the time to pause and reflect on the very crux of our Christian faith um, in the lead-up to Easter. We would love to see um, some of you at our prayer meetings, our monthly chapel service, and our Good Friday service as well this week. And as we continue to, the story of God's sovereign plan, um, where you and I are invited to participate, May we be, yeah, take the time to, to pause and to reflect on that. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a God of all, Lord. That you are Lord over every single thing in heaven and on earth. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are a king, you're a prince of peace that comes in your gentleness, Lord. In the chaos of life, God in the struggles of our life, God, in the uncertainties of life, Lord, you bring peace that surpasses all understanding. God, you bring healing. You bring wholeness. And you bring a new hope, God, because of your son, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we just ask, God, that you would help us to see what you are doing in our lives, God. See what you are doing around us. See what you are doing in our communities, God, that we may not miss you in our midst. Father, help us, Lord, to partner with you in what you are already doing in your purposes, God. And help us, God, this Easter, Lord, to even share with those around us this amazing hope that we find in you. And so, God, I pray, Lord, as we prepare our hearts, God, for Easter next week, Lord. Would you come, Lord? 
and be close to us, Lord. Would you come and be speaking to each of us, Lord? And allowing our hearts to see you in a fresh way.